Hello, residents. My name is Mike Estefan. I'm joined by Maddie Watts, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Rabbits Insurance, my personal independent disability insurance agent. We will talk more about Pearson Rabbits later in the episode. But for now, let's get right into it. Maddie Watts, how are you doing today? I'm good. How about you, Mike? I am fantastic. I'm very jet-lagged from an international trip, switching over to nights, but I am surviving. I can't complain. Um, today is round number 10 of the game. I believe it's round number 10. Yeah. Maddie will need to perform today's case in real ABEM oral boards format. She has 15 minutes to complete the full case. She does not know what this case is ahead of time. If Maddie hits all of the critical actions that I've listed out beforehand, she wins. And if she doesn't, or if she performs one of the many dangerous actions in this case, I win. These cases were created by me. They are not derived from actual ABEM cases that I had, and they are not real patients. Maddie, please take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Place the paper sideways in front of you and outline a human body on the left side of it and let me know when you are ready. I'm ready to go. All right, Dr. Watts, this will be a single patient encounter and you will have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? Nope. All right. And let's begin. The timer has started. You are working at Clerkship General when you hear an EMS call on the base command radio. Clerkship General, we are bringing you an agitated and combative 30-year-old male. We'll see you in five minutes. Maddie, is there anything you would like to do to prepare? Um, do I have any vital signs from EMS? They were not able to get vital signs because of the agitation. All right. So I would definitely like uh, some staff on hand to back me up, some nursing staff. If we have some um, security officers, that would be great. Um, I would probably like to have some meds ready, but I really don't know what I'm going to get with this agitated patient, so I'll probably just see what rolls in the door. Okay, and EMS has arrived. Hey, Doc, this is Greg. He's a 30-year-old male, very well known to us. Greg really likes his cocaine. He used cocaine today, like he usually does. We got a call, though, that he was creating a scene on the street, so we had to take him in. On the way here, we had to restrain him for our own safety. And the charge nurse chimes in, Greg, again? This is the third time this week. Um, so when I walk in the room, what do I see? You see a diaphoretic young male in the EMS stretcher fighting his restraints. Okay. Um, do we have, can I see pupil findings or skin findings? Shut up! You're all worthless! You can't even get close to him. He, he's trying to swing. He's, you can't get an exam on him at all right now. Okay. Do we know if patient has any medication allergies from his many visits? Um, you check the EMR, no known drug allergies. Okay. Um, so if patient is still fighting my staff, I want to keep my staff safe. So I think we need to give some IM injections. Um, let's do five of droperidol and five of Versed IM. 
Okay, five of Draperidol and five of Versed IM have been administered. And fast forward right. a few minutes and patient is calming down. Okay. Um, is he still trying to swing at staff? No, he is not. Okay. Um, so I don't think we need to put him in restraints right now, um, but I want to mo- watch him closely. Um, if we can try to get an opening set of vitals uh, now that he's a little more calm, that would also be helpful. Sure. Um, the nurse is taking vital signs, uh, heart rate of 134, respiratory rate of 22, blood pressure of 192 over 105, O2 saturation of 99% on room air. All right. So he's tachycardic and hypertensive. We know he has a street cocaine use, so he's probably got some sympathomimetic mimetic toxicity right now. Um, Greg, I'm Dr. Watts. Can you hear me? Yeah. Are you hurting anywhere right now? No. Okay. Do you have any headache? No. Do you have any chest pain? No. Do you have any shortness of breath? No. Okay. What happened today? He didn't respond. He's pretty out of it. Okay. So, um, does he have any external signs of trauma on exam? Any hematoma or bruising, obvious deformities to the long bones? You see no obvious signs of trauma. Okay. Um, when I listen to his heart and lungs, what do I hear? Uh, lungs are clear throughout. Um, heart, no obvious murmur. He's tachycardic, but otherwise, S1, S2 present. Okay. Is his abdomen soft and non-tender? Abdomen is soft and non-tender, correct. Okay. When I look at his extremities, um, A, is his skin wet or dry? Uh, his skin is moist. Okay. Um, just, and you said no signs of trauma. Compartments no. are soft. Correct. Okay. Um, what are his pupils? Uh, his pupils are dilated. Okay. All right. So all of this fits so far with sympathomimetic toxicity. Um, I'm going to give him a little bit of time to metabolize the medications that we gave him here. Um, and then keep him on the monitor if he'll tolerate it. Okay. Patient is placed on the cardiac monitor. Okay. While he's on the monitor, can we get an EKG? Okay, we can do an EKG. Doc, are there any other tests you want now? Yeah, if he's calm enough to have us obtain IV access, I'd like to get IV access in case we need it later. Okay, what do you want? Um, Let's just try to get a peripheral IV. It can be um, ideally... 18 or 20 gauge and then let's start a liter of fluids as well okay doc do you want any labs while i'm placing the line um sure we can send off a uh, cbc a bmp um and let's just start with that for right now okay uh cbc and a bmp have been 
drawn off the line and 18 gauge and was a placed. ck actually let me add on a ck because he was agitated and fighting and a ck okay got it um an 18 gauge was placed one liter bolus was administered is being administered and ekg was sent to you okay let's take a look at this ekg so i see a narrow complex tachycardia looks like it's about 150 beats per minute I'm looking for P waves and it looks like I have P waves. So I believe this is a sinus tachycardia. I don't see any obvious ST segment depression or elevation. So I don't think I need to be worried about drug induced ischemia. So um, I think we are good from that perspective. So I'm going to give him some time to metabolize and then reassess. Okay. And uh, your, your labs have already begun to start to trickle in. Um, you have your CBC with a white blood cell count of 7.4, a hemoglobin of 14.5, and a platelet count of 450. Your BMP has a sodium of 135, a chloride of 107, a potassium of 5.9, a bicarb of 18, a creatinine of 3.15, a BUN of 49, a glucose of 105, and his CK came back at 10,500. All right. So he's definitely got an AKI or some pretty bad CKD. He's, but given that his CK is through the roof, I think he's got rhabdo and that's causing his potassium to be 5.9, which I don't love. Um, his EKG didn't have peaked T waves, so I don't think I need to give him calcium. Um, but I would like to try to do some shifting of that potassium. Let's hang another liter of fluids. Uh, we can do LR or normal saline, whatever we have available. Let's um, start some albuterol via face mask, and then um, we will give some insulin and dextrose as well. Um, is he still relatively sedated? Um, well, the, the nurse actually went in to uh, hang the second leader and start those medications, and uh, she calls you back into the room. Hey, Doc, he, he looks a little different than he was earlier. I don't know what's going on. All right, so I walk back in the room, and what do I see? Um, you see, again, a diaphoretic young male um, who seemingly isn't doing much. Doc, I, I, I can't wake him up, at least before I was able to wake him up, but he, he's not waking up. All right, do we have a pulse? You have a pulse. Okay. He is on um, the monitor, sinus tack at 130s. Okay. Um, if I try to sternal rub him, does he show any reaction, moaning, moving? Uh, he doesn't respond to sternal rub. Okay. Um, what are his pupils currently? Uh, they're still equal and dilated, but his, uh, his eyes aren't opening. Okay. Are they reactive? They are sluggish. Okay. 
Um, and how large are they? Uh, let's say three and a half millimeters. Okay. Um, and he does not respond when I pinch any of his extremities. The only thing he does is moan incomprehensibly. Okay. So he's not reliably moving his extremities. He's had an acute change in his mental status and he has dilated pupils. So I am concerned that he could have um, intracranial hemorrhage from cocaine use. So I would like to take him to the CT scan for non-contrast head CT. Um, Is he currently maintaining his saturations and breathing um, without any intervention? Um, yeah, he is breathing, but he, he is obtunded. Okay. Um, so I, given that he, so his eyes aren't opening and he's moaning to pain and, um, I guess, is he withdrawing at all or just moaning? Just moaning. He's not moving. Okay. So, unfortunately, I think I will need to intubate this patient before going to the CT scanner um, due to his depressed mental status. I don't want him to lose his airway in the CT scanner. So, um, given that he's got rhabdo, I don't want to use succinylcholine, so we'll use rocuronium. And then for his induction agent, um, I don't really want to use ketamine because I don't want to raise his blood pressure, so I'll use Atomidate. Um, what was our most recent blood pressure? Uh, you recheck it, and it is now uh, 210 over 105. Okay. Um, so let's prepare to intubate. I would like to start pre-oxygenating him with a non-rebreather, um, have him on the monitor, which I believe he already is, and then if we can prepare um, Atomidate and Rocuronium, um, I know automate or I, I know rocuronium is 0.6 to 1 mix per kg. I can't remember the dosing of automate off the top of my head because um, I usually use ketamine. But let's go ahead and prepare our agents for induction paralysis while we're pre-oxygenating him. Okay. You, you intubated him successfully. Okay. Got equal breath sounds, good color change, end title is capturing. Okay. Um Let's get a chest x-ray to confirm, and then let's roll to the CT scan um, as soon as possible for non-con head CT. All right. Chest x-ray has just been sent over, and you wheel him off to CT, and you're looking through the images, and this is the first thing you see. All right. So his ET tube looks appropriately placed about four to five centimeters over the carina, and he's got inflated lungs bilaterally, and he has a very large intracranial hemorrhage. It looks like it's in the um, like occipital temporal area. Um, so um, when we get back, I would like to lower his blood pressure um, and talk to neurosurgery. Okay. How would you like to lower his blood pressure? Um, let's give him, um, 20 of labetalol. Okay. 20. Actually, yeah, let's give that. And then he probably needs to be on a cardine drip to get him a lot lower. What is his most recent blood pressure? 
Um, after the 20 of labetalol, he is down to 180 over 100, heart rate of 100. Okay. Um, so we've got room in the heart rate. Let's start him on a cardine drip, and let's try to target a blood pressure of less than 150 over 110. And then can I page neurosurgery for intracranial hemorrhage? Uh, you do not have neurosurgery at your shop. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so I would like to go ahead and put in a transfer request to the nearest center that does have neurosurgery and neuro ICU. Great. Patient was accepted and the helicopter is on its way. Is there anything else you would like to do? Um, can we confirm in the chart that he's not on any anticoagulants? Uh, yeah, you check the EMR. He is not on any medications at this time. Okay. And so we have our blood pressure management. Um, he's not hypoxic. Do we have a temperature? Uh, we can check a temperature. That would be great. Probably <laughs> should have done that a while ago. <laughs> this is, his temperature is 98.8. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um and then what's our most recent blood pressure uh let's say the ti- the cardine drip has been titrated and he is at 145 over 100 okay um and then we should probably start some sedation for him um what's our neuro exam currently uh he's gcs 3t right now okay Um, So we can do some sedation with um, propofol um, to continue our sedation. And then, um, let's see, what am I missing? I think that's everything. Okay, and that ends your case. Woo! A a minute over. I kind of let that drag on a little bit. I know, I had a hunch. I had a hunch you were letting it go. (laughs) (laughs) No, you did good. Um, Before we go through exactly how you did, let's talk about our sponsor for the month, Pearson Rabbits Insurance. Pearson Rabbits is my personal disability insurance broker. When shopping for disability insurance, the keyword is own occupation disability insurance. It is important to obtain an own occupation disability insurance policy early on in your training for multiple reasons. First of all, there's a steep discounted rate for residents, and this rate will follow you into attending hood like it did for me. And while you may feel healthy now, it is still very possible that you will become disabled while in residency. So why wait? Second of all, most people will never be healthier through the rest of their life than they are today. Don't wait until you develop medical problems, as the insurance companies will often put in exclusion clauses for disability due to pre-existing conditions. Pearson Rabbits will work with you to find the best policy for your specific needs and will break it down into plain English that you can understand. Don't wait until it's too late. Check out Pearson Rabbits at www.pearsonrabbits.com and schedule a consultation with Stephanie Pearson or one of her team members today. Now, back to the episode. So, Maddie, what is your overall interpretation of this case? I mean, like, what happened? What was the final diagnosis? Um, so, I this patient had a hypertensive 
intracranial hemorrhage secondary to likely cocaine or other sympathomimetic use. I and rhabdo. 100% agree with you. And how do you think you did? I think I did pretty well. I definitely think uh, it can be hard on these oral cases and in real life when you have somebody who comes in in distress, whether it's medical distress or they're agitated and you kind of skip to the management part of your assessment and plan and then you kind of have to go back and go back to your physical exam later, go back to your history later. And so sometimes things can get forgotten, like the temperature. Um, (laughs) So I guess I was kind of lucky that that was not elevated, that he didn't have some thyrotoxicosis or medication side effect or something like that. So um, definitely remembering to go back. But I think I, I think I did pretty well and I circled back pretty well. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You you did really well. Um, and I think getting that CK early on was a, a game changer here. Um, let's go through the critical actions and then we can talk a little more about the case. So my five critical actions were number one, administer sedation for the safety of the patient and the staff, which you did promptly. Number two was intubate the patient once he becomes obtunded and obtained a post-intubation chest x-ray, which you did. Good job. Number three was diagnose an intracranial hemorrhage following the change of mental status, which you did. Number four was treat the patient's hypertension with a goal systolic of around 140-ish. There's really not good data for a specific number. It's really institutionally dependent. My hospital, we aim for less than 140, but whatever you said, I think it was 150 over 100 or whatever. It was totally fine. And number five, uh, diagnose the cause of the patient's renal failure, which was rhabdo, and administer the treatment which is copious amounts of IV fluids, which you did. So you not only passed this case, you passed with essentially flying colors. Um, There were a few dangerous actions weaved into this case, and there is a controversial one that I'm going to talk about that you definitely wouldn't fail the case for doing this in my eyes, but in the board's eyes, potentially. So, dangerous actions. Not sedating the patient when he arrived agitated. That's dangerous for the staff, dangerous for the patient themselves. So, you did a good job there. Uh, If you didn't intubate this patient with the mental status changed, he would have vomited and aspirated and maybe coded, depending how nice I was feeling. Not controlling the blood pressure, uh, he would have blown a pupil and herniated and definitely coded. If you gave succinylcholine in the setting of this hyper-K, he would have went into a V-fib arrest from worsening hyper-K. So good job picking up on that. Um, And then the last thing, which we should talk about a little bit, is giving labetalol um, in this particular circumstance, uh, meaning in the setting of cocaine intoxication. So I'm sure you... I'm sure you remember from med school the the old adage of never never give a beta blocker to somebody who's coming in with cocaine intoxication. And and why is that 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 adage? Why does that exist? Yeah, so I do remember this and then I remember learning that it's not always true. So this is probably the controversial thing, but um in the case of labetalol, you'd be 
blunting both the alpha and beta response. But now I'm trying to remember the actual pathophysiology of it all. <laughs> no, no, it's it, it, it's pretty complicated. Um, the the old saying is never beta block somebody with cocaine intoxication because you end up causing unopposed alpha um, because. most beta blockers are pretty nonspecific. You'll get beta one and beta two blockage and beta two is a a vasodilator. So by blocking beta two receptors, you allow the cocaine to essentially activate all the alpha receptors without any negative feedback and uh, you get unopposed alpha activity. So that's the old adage and that can lead to worsening vasospasm, worsening hypertension, et cetera, et cetera. Um, The thing with labetalol is uh, it actually has some alpha blocking activity. It's very nonspecific, um, though the, the beta blocking activity is much stronger than its alpha blocking activity. What I would say, I, I did a little research into this preparing for the case, and recent studies have showed that labetalol is completely fine in cocaine intoxication. But to be fair, the boards tend to be old school. I don't know if you've had your in-service exam yet, but some of the questions on there are super old school. And for the purpose of the boards, I would personally not give any beta blocker in the setting of cocaine intoxication, just on the off chance they are not up to date with the most recent evidence. Got it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, but 100% real life, I, I think this was totally fine. But for the, some graders on the boards might have an issue beta blocking in the setting of cocaine intoxication. Uh, but I certainly would not fault you for doing so. Okay, that makes sense. And yeah, as soon as I did that, I didn't actually hesitate because of that. I kind of forgot about that. But was thinking that it'd probably be easier to do a drip and titrate because this person's going to need a lot of blood pressure control. But that's... Definitely a really good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, no, it, and in real life, um, I the only time I really use labetalol for hypertense hypertension is if I have somebody I'm gonna give TPA to, and their blood pressure is outside of the the TPA guidelines. So just because it's it's so quick and easy, and I can push it while the patient is on the CT scanner. Um, but for somebody with uh, uncontrolled hypertension like hypertensive emergency i just start a uh, cardine or a clavidipine drip immediately i personally really like clavidipine because it's it's like the esmolol of calcium channel blockers it's quick on quick off if you overshoot it you can rapidly uh, change your dose and you'll you'll see those physiologic changes really quickly kind of like esmolol um but i know not not all centers use clavidipine so cardine is also pretty common yeah, we don't have clovidipine, or at least not in down in the ED at my center. Um, otherwise, I think you did really, really good. This you rocked this case. I, I think it would have been a little harder for you if you had not ordered that CK up front, because uh, you'd have somebody with a essentially nuance at renal failure without an obvious etiology. And what I was hoping would happen, I was hoping you were going to order a CMP and not a BMP because on the CMP, his, uh, his AST was going to be like a thousand, but his ALT was going to be normal. And when you see that essentially normal ALT with a super elevated AST, you have to think about rhabdo because AST is also present in muscle cells. It's a very nonspecific enzyme. Um, so when people have 
muscle breakdown, they'll have an elevated AST as well as an elevated CK. Hmm, okay. Good to know. Um, other than that, uh, if you had gotten a urinalysis on him, I would have shown the, the classic findings for rhabdo. And do you know what those are on urinalysis? Yeah, so you have myoglobinuria. So you will have um, the positive um, heme on the urine dipstick, but you won't have red blood cells on the microscopic exactly yeah you were gonna have plus three protein plus three blood on the dip but then the micro would come back with like zero rbcs essentially and that's pretty pathognomonic at least my understanding is it's pathognomonic <laughs> for myoglobin area bless you thank you um other than that do you have any other questions or comments about the case um i don't think so though i think it would be interesting to do some discussion about preferred agents for agitation because i think we've talked about that on the podcast before but it's something that we see so commonly in the ed and i remember when i was a little baby intern being so scared of you know when the nurse runs to you and they're like what do you need i need something right now and you're like oh uh, uh. and so <laughs> <laughs> um ever since draparadol's been back i've used a lot of that and found that a lot of my um attendings that were around for the first round of Doparid, I'll really like it. Um, and doing some Versed for sort of the more long-lasting effect and the benzos for his sympathomimetic toxicity. But I do think having kind of an idea of what your go-to agitation agents is is good to have in the back pocket. So to, to our listeners, I, I swear this, this wasn't planned. This... Maddie had no idea that question was asked. It was coming, and her answer was totally unplanned. Uh, the deep dive this month is going to be on exactly that, um, my approach personally to the agitated patient and the different choices of agents and why some are essentially ob- objectively better than others. Um, but we'll talk about that more on the deep dive. Awesome. Um, I will definitely be listening. <laughs> other than that... Um, yeah, you you mentioned when you were a little baby intern. Are you ready to be a big bad second year it's coming up? <laughs> a baby in second like year, <laughs> thirty years, or thirty days. Yeah, it's yeah, wild. Baby year. Um, I mean, I think everyone feels this way. The more you learn, the more you feel like you know absolutely nothing. So it doesn't feel like I'm ready to be a second year. But then when I look back at what how I felt and what I could do at the beginning of the year, I feel like I definitely have come a long way. Um, but yeah, still, still a little scared for becoming a second year. Cause that's kind of when everything really ramps up at my program and you take kind of the responsibility of moving the department and seeing all the trauma, seeing all the medical recess patients. So I'm excited, but also definitely still nervous. Um, the, the thing, the biggest, I guess, hurdle for me being a second year was on top of all those all those other new responsibilities you have clinically being a second year, um, which in and of itself is terrifying. Uh, but you also have the responsibility of making sure your baby interns aren't killing people and are yeah. 
you know, doing well, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, so you're, you're looking out for your, yourself in this new responsibility, but you're also looking out for your, your oncoming class. And I, I honestly think second year is the most stressful part of residency, especially at the beginning for emergency medicine residency, um, because you're juggling those two acts. As a third year, at, at least you have a year of experience, you know, doing the, the resuscitations and that kind of stuff. And, um, the, the teaching of the interns becomes much more fun and less stressful. Yeah, I have a whole new respect for our current class of second years because when I first came in as an intern, they seemed so confident. And now knowing how they felt then, I was like, oh my gosh, they played it off so cool and collected and were like <laughs> telling me the ins and outs of how to admit to XYZ service when they had like 12 trauma patients that they were carrying. Um, oh and, my gosh. But yes, you got to... You got to pass it forward and take care of your new interns because we've all been there and it's there's nothing more terrifying than shift one day one when you're like, okay, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Here's some Tylenol. Am I going to kill this patient's liver? Yeah. (laughs) Can I order this? Are we sure? Are we positive? Do do, do we need to check liver function tests before I order the Tylenol? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah. Good times. Well. That's all I have for you guys today. And I just want to put a quick plug in here. If you haven't already heard, Zach and I created an awesome video course designed specifically to prepare you for your day one of your emergency medicine clerkship. It literally has everything I wish I knew before my first rotation in emergency medicine, and it's condensed into three hours of video content that you can watch quite literally the night before your clerkship starts. Now, it is a paid course, but I promise you it is worth every dollar. Zach and I poured our hearts into this, and it is literally designed to elevate you from a pass or a high pass student to an honor student. There will be a link in the show notes to where you can find out more and purchase this course if interested. And as always, if you have any questions about this episode or about the course, send us emails, zach at emclerkship.com, mike at emclerkship.com, and maddie at emclerkship.com. And until next time, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.